This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 123, Alien Movie Review. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, caveman himself. You'll find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. And of course, I'm on Twitter at C McBrien, or popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our information. Derek, what's new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Hey. Uh, well, I had a relatively slow pop culture week. Okay. But I did get a few things in, and I got uh, something I'm really looking forward to coming up. So, what's, what's uh, that? Please do share. So, this weekend, let me let me back up. In September, uh, in Toronto, was the Just for Laughs Music Festival. Oh. Or music Festival, pardon me, Comedy Festival. Right, okay, the yeah. Brain, music on the Brain. Yep. Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed – I had tickets to go and uh, and see a performer. And at the very last minute, the show got canceled. And they said, don't worry. He's going to come back in January. Your tickets are still good. Come back and see him then. So this upcoming Saturday, I'm going to have an opportunity to go and see John Mulaney perform stand-up. And for those who aren't familiar with John Mulaney's work, he was a writer on Saturday Night Live uh, for a number of years, and he's recently um, gone back to doing stand-up. He has a couple of Netflix specials. Uh, I, I really enjoy his comedy. I, I find he's he's really good. Uh, for those um, who enjoy Saturday Night Live, one, one of the more popular sketches from the last decade is that the, um, the weekend update with Bill Hader where he plays Stefan, and he goes, this party has everything. And then he rambles on about all these strange and bizarre things. So apparently Mulaney wrote like all of those. And part of the gag was uh, John Mulaney would change some of the script after they did a rehearsal so that when Bill Hader was on set live, he thought he knew what was coming up next. And John Mulaney would switch out to something equally as funny but completely unexpected. And that's why the Stefan character, you always see him covering his face as Bill Hader starts cracking up. It's like an inside joke between those two guys. It was always like, I'm going to make this change. You're not going to know what it is, and you're going to kill yourself laughing when you see it. So that, I've always been a big fan uh, of his work, and I'm going to get a chance to go see him this weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice. nice. Wow. I, I have lots of pop culture stuff to, stuff to share with you this week, which is usually not the case. You usually have all kinds of pop culture stuff, and I have none, but I have lots to share. So as you know, I don't watch anything new. Uh, but I, one thing that I have watched that's new is because my kids. So my kids are like all... All over like in the streaming services that we have, whether it's Disney Plus or Netflix, but they're watching this show. It's like, I guess it's kind of like a sitcom for kids, I guess is the only way I can really describe it. And it's called Game Shakers. And so they watch this every single day. They've watched every single episode over and over again. And it's with, there was a movie that came out in like, in the 90s, like 97 or so called Good Burger. Yes, with Keenan and Kel. Yeah, yeah. So this Kel guy, this Kel Mitchell guy, is on this show Game Shakers. And he plays like this rapper. And then the idea is these kids all have this like company where they make like video games and apps and stuff like that. So I've actually watched something new. Unfortunately, it's a kid's show. So there's that. And then the other day, um, my oldest son 
we had some spare time and I said, hey, what do you want to do? Let's let's go upstairs because up in the bedroom, I've got the Roku stick. I'm like, let's go up to daddy's room and I'll, I'll put on whatever you want to want to watch. And he, and he says, okay, let's go up there and we're, let's watch Bob Ross. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we did. So we went up and watched an episode of Bob Ross painting mountains. And he's like, man, he's really good at painting mountains. I'm like, oh, I know. I, I would say that. And then just tonight at bedtime, I always spend time with both my sons separately and we read. Whatever I say, whatever you want, let's lay in bed together and read. And so my oldest son, I'm like, what do you want to read tonight? And he's like, I got this. And he pulls it out and it's the big oversized comic of Battlestar Galactica from like 1978. Nice, nice. I'm like, oh man, this is great. (laughs) So we read the Battlestar Galactica comic tonight. It was so awesome. Okay. Anything else from you? Yeah. So um, a couple of quick things then. Yes. uh, When we did our show last week, the 2019 Mm -hmm. Year in review recap. The look back, yes. The look back. Uh, I had asked you, like, what shows have you watched? And one of the shows you had mentioned you had watched and enjoyed was Ozark season oh, two. Yes, yes, season two. I and liked I, it. And I said, you know what? I had never got around to watching season two, but season three is coming in March. I should probably get started on mm-hmm. that. So I did. I, I, I started watching that this week. I'm about three or four episodes in. Nice. I, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I really enjoyed season one. And, you know, I, I sort of kicked myself for thinking, why did I wait so long to watch this? So I want to thank you. For uh, for giving me that little nudge to go back and check out Ozark, so uh, I'm wait, looking wait, forward wait. to see. So, so you're actually thanking me for turning you on to something that's new. Sure, that's, we'll wow. say yes. That's oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Is it a full moon tonight? Like, yeah. what's going on? Is what this reverse night or something? <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to love my movie. Holy cow! <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, one other last last thing, not so much pop culture related, mm-hmm. more personal for me. Sure. Tomorrow. Uh, which so we're recording this on uh, January sixteenth. So tomorrow, January seventeenth, twenty twenty, is my work twentieth anniversary. It'll oh, be twenty wow. years since I started working at my job in this company. I work at a major Canadian financial institution, and I've been there t- as of tomorrow twenty years. Wow! Congratulations. That's that's yeah. that's quite an accomplishment. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, I remember. And, and the thing got- is, too, like you, you've really worked your way up there, too. Like you've done very oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I first started, it was as a co-op student and the people in my program, everyone was getting jobs at like tech companies and startup companies. This was like 1999, 2000 and it was still when – before the tech bubble had burst and so we were all getting jobs in the technical fields and I remember everyone saying, well, we'll do this co-op for a few months. If the company hired you, you maybe stay there a few months and then we're just going to keep changing jobs and making more money and it'll just be this nonstop change, change, change because that's how careers work now. And everyone went, yeah, of course, that's exactly it. And then I landed this job at a bank and I've been there 20, 20 years. So <laughs> it all worked out in the end. Nice. Yeah, big nice. milestone. So. Oh, congratulations. That's a, that's Thank a you, good sir. thing. Thanks. So you mentioned that, uh, yeah, this is like an up, upside down episode. Uh, I've been watching new things. I turned you on to something new. And then you are wondering that maybe it will come full circle and I'll actually like your movie for a change. I guess we'll have to see how that works out. Let's get started. I'm wearing a t-shirt that's Smokey and the Bandit. And let me give you an example. And as far as I'm concerned, they should have stopped making Star Wars movies in 1983. Was it the holiday rap? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you've obviously not been paying attention because it's... (laughs) Wasn't like the the Black Negro League? (laughs) It was not the Black Negro League. Ah, whatever the f*** you want to say, go ahead and say it. Here's a group that'll see us. We're going to lose about 75% of our audience. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so this week it was over to you. Uh, it was time for you to nominate a film, and we did things a little bit differently. I guess the whole theme of this episode is a little bit different, because normally when it comes to, for your movies, you nominate a new movie, and then when it comes to me, I nominate a movie from Gen X, because that's how we do things on this show. This time was a little different. Yeah, we flipped it over to you. You got to nominate a movie. I'm expecting something from like 2017 or 2018 or something. And you're like, no, no, no. I want you to go back and watch a movie that you have never seen, which was Alien. And you're right. I have never seen the movie Alien. I remember um, Yancey always saying that he liked the movie Alien from 1979. And I'd never seen it. So you nominated Alien. And I had to go back and watch it. And we are now going to review it. Would you like to kick things off for us? Why did you pick this movie? Uh, yeah, so I picked it because I think it's a great movie. It is. Uh, it came out two years after Star Wars. So you got, you know, let's go into our Wayback Machine, Chris. In 1977, May 1977, Star Wars comes out. There's never been a movie like it. It is a legitimate phenomenon. It creates the blockbuster movie. And so what happens? Well, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and if one thing worked, why not keep trying to replicate that, especially if there's money to be made? And all of a sudden, you have this onslaught of science fiction, outer space-style movies uh, to try and capitalize on the Star Wars buzz. Some were great. Some were not. Uh, Alien, uh, being one of these sci-fi movies, certainly benefited from the fact that Star Wars had come out a few years earlier. Uh, but they did still have some trouble getting the movie made. It was in limbo for a while, and eventually uh, it was made and released in 1979 with the tagline, In space, no one can hear you scream. And the idea was, we're going to make a horror movie in space. It's a, it's a sci-fi movie in the sense that it's in the future and on a spaceship and there are aliens, or rather an alien. But at its heart, it's a horror. It's a, it's a thriller. And I think people who... Uh, we're going to see it. Maybe didn't realize that. They didn't know what to expect. And it it did very well in the theater, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, one of his first films. Ridley Scott has gone on to become uh, one of our, our greatest directors. He did things like Blade Runner and uh, he did Thelma and Louise. He did The Martian. He did Gladiator. Like his, his resume is exceptionally impressive. Uh, Alien being one of the first ones that really put him on the map, so to speak. And – at its heart, Alien is this horror movie. You have these uh, uh, seven passengers are on this spaceship and uh, the movie begins. You see this ship and all the passengers are in a cryosleep and uh, they're woken up by the, the computer and they all assume, hey, we're home. We've been on this long space journey and we're here. And then they realize, hey, we're not here. What's going on? And the computer tells them there's an SOS and as per our space rules – you have to go and find out what it is because it could be someone who actually needs help. And the crew eventually goes – follows the, the SOS. They go down to the planet. They find it's it's a, an alien ship and there's the remains of aliens on board and they find uh, – you know, they find these these eggs and, and you know, without revealing too much but I'm sure we'll get into it in a few <clears> minutes. Yeah, we'll break the movie down. The, the, alien, the alien is brought on board the ship and then it becomes – um, you know, that's where the sort of thriller part of it becomes. It's like now the alien, uh, which they maybe didn't realize how threatening it could be, is suddenly hunting the seven astronauts or – well, I guess we, we'll call them astronauts. Sure. The seven passengers on the ship. And at this point, the ship is now back in outer space. So it's like, well, there's nowhere to go. You're in a confined space. You're you're in a tin can in outer space and there's an alien running around trying to kill people. And it's uh, – 
you know, it, it's this this cat and mouse chase, this this uh, you know space thriller, if you will. I keep using this word thriller, um, and it was it was again an example of uh, less is more. One of the one of the the pitches when they were trying to sell this movie, and they would say like, okay, you've got thirty seconds. What's this movie like? And what, one of the things they would constantly say is, it's like Jaws, but in outer space. Because in Jaws, you were it was all about the shark, and you never really saw the shark. It's, its presence was felt, and there was a lot of repercussions of the shark being there, and people acted and did things in certain ways. But it wasn't just about, here's the shark, look at it, look at it. It was more, what you didn't see was scarier than what you did see. And in Alien, it was very much the same idea. It was, yes, there's an alien on the ship, but... You don't necessarily see it, and when you do, you just catch quick glimpses of it, and it's in dark places, and the alien is predominantly black color, so you can't see it very well. And like a, like any other good horror-type uh, movie, your imagination will make it scarier than anything the director could put on screen, and that really, really worked. And um, yeah, I, I, like it's, I, I believe it's it stood the test of time. I mean, it's a science fiction movie set in the future, and there are certainly some things that are reflective of 70s culture – in the way the characters act and certain things they do and say, but at its heart, the story definitely still stands up in my opinion and, and in the opinion of many. And um, so with that, I, I want to turn it over to you because I want to hear sort of your first thoughts and then we can break down the movie in a little bit of detail. So Chris, you had never seen it before, nope. but I'm sure there are parts of the movie. Once you saw it, they have, they are big pop culture moments and you probably went, Oh, okay. I know what's coming next or, Oh, that's where that's from. But aside from that, what did you think? What were your general impressions? Okay, so I had seen actually certain scenes of it before, you know, just here and there, just because they're such pop culture moments, yes. you know. But, I mean, you obviously really like this movie a lot. And I remember, like I said, Yancey used to really talk about this movie really, you know, highly. Um, uh, but what were you expecting by, because you like it, obviously, what were you expecting from me when you nominated this film? Or what were you hoping for me to, to get out of it? So... I know that um, one of the phrases you use a lot when we review movies is they don't make them like they used to. They don't make movies like they like we'll review movie X mm -hmm. and you'll say, you know, you don't see this made anymore. They right. don't make movies like they, they made don't. movie X anymore. That's correct. And and even though Alien is very much a by the numbers horror movie and there have been a lot of movies that have tried to duplicate and replicate this formula and as we say to it to it on its it's very broadest strokes alien is is a, a, i don't want to say ripoff but is pulling from the same storylines as jaws in that sense um the way this was put together the 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 you know it's they don't make it like this anymore if if they made this today it would be fast moving super explosions a rock and roll soundtrack it would be more uh, uh more like armageddon where it's explosions and and special effects and and in your face uh whereas this one was the it's very slow it's very quiet it's very deliberately paced the the characters are very believable as normal blue collar workers they are essentially space truckers they are hauling freight from point a to point b and you have a lot of the characters quibbling over things like well i don't get as, as big a bonus as you do and they're like hey you signed a contract your job doesn't get paid as much as my job for whatever reason and I mean, really, at the end of the day, that has nothing to do with the alien part of the story. But that's the kind of thing regular people in this kind of a circumstance would talk about. And I think that Alien is very relatable in that sense, even though it's science fiction and it's set in the future. The characters are very grounded. They're very believable, very down to earth. 
and well, down to earth, no pun intended. And um, I'm, I was hoping that the fact that it's sort of that 70s style where you had a lot of, as my wife likes to call them, long, boring dramas where you have, you know, uh, these long drawn out scenes with very slow and deliberate pacing to build up to a moment. And with a horror kind of movie, the moment is like, then it's like, ah, the, the alien jumps at you. Um, so my hope was that you would pick up on the 70s style movie making that I know you're fond of in some cases and the the timelessness of some of the, the broader themes, appreciation for the special effects being what they were, especially since it came out in 1979. And I'm hoping that you at least enjoyed it to a certain level. But my mm-hmm. reality is I've learned to say if I love a movie and I love it, you know, this I hate much, it. I know you're not going to like know I'm not gonna the like movie it. or you're yeah. not going to like parts of the movie. And I want to know. I want to know why. So uh, that's kind so, of the way it goes, right? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Chris, what'd you think of it? All right. So I've been doing this podcast for three and a half years. Hard to believe. And over that three and a half years, I've had to watch a lot of crap. No offense. You, you use your ether and a, and a duct tape and a wheelbarrow line on Alien. That's it. We're done. I know you'll be really mad. I'm sure. But, you know, that's what this podcast is all about. So... You and Yancey have maybe watched so many crappy movies over the years. No offense. I'm just being honest. Just crap after crap after crap. This is hands down the best movie either one of you have ever made me okay, watch. Okay, good. <laughs> Woo, oh, I was worried you were going to go the oh, other way out that one. Woo. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Where has this movie been my whole life? I cannot believe that I'm the Gen X movie guy. And it's just, it's one of those movies, What for whatever reason, has just escaped me. And I just, I've never seen it. I have just, a movie, I just admitted, I've never seen. And so you kind of picked up on it. I'm like, well, then you need to watch it. And I'm really glad that you made me watch it. And unfortunately, my, my wife usually watches the movies with me. And I don't know how many times she's like, God, these movies suck. Like, what's Yancey doing? What is Derek doing? Well, I think you watch this crap. And last night, I had I, I was I had a busy week, so I didn't get the chance to watch this until last night. So just last night, I sit down to watch it, and she couldn't watch it with me. So this morning, I'm like, oh boy, I got bad news for you, honey. Finally, there was a good one. <laughs> and and like I say, not only was it good, it was fantastic. What an outstanding movie this is it is just outstanding so let's just start so my first impressions movie starts out obviously like you mentioned it's like a it's like i think a refinery cargo ship or something the nostromo yeah the nostromo it's a cargo ship yeah movie opens up and you're like you don't know where the crew is like the whole ship's empty i'm like what's going on is this ship abandoned like what's what's happening and then the ship starts waking up you know like the lights start coming on doors start opening and then so so does the crew you know, they wake up. And when we talk about the crew, I want to talk about this. What a great cast. Like, what a great cast in this movie. Oh, my yeah. God. I, I got a lot of notes about the cast, which oh, I'm sure we'll dwell so on. Good. So. so let's talk about it for a minute before we start to break down the film. Okay. John Hurt, you know, who, who was never really huge. But, you know, like, I mean, he made some good movies. The Elephant Man. You know, he played John Merrick. He was well, in Midnight. And he was knighted. Sir yep. John Hurt? Yeah, true. He was in Midnight Express, which was great. And he even had a cameo in History of the World Part 1 when he played Jesus. And and he was in movie that Yancey had nominated you to watch. He was in Contact. Oh, that's right, too. He was, wasn't he? Hammond Industries. Yep. Yes. He was the money. Now, now, it's John Hurt, not to be confused with John Hurd, 
who's of course from Home Alone and Big and Cat People and Chud. I don't know if you ever saw Chud. Chud was cannibalistic yeah. humanoid underground dwellers. But anyway, John Hurt, he was he was great. And even Ian Holm, and Ian Holm I recognized from Time Bandits because he played Napoleon oh, yeah. in Time Bandits. I remember that guy. And then, of course, the legend, Harry Dean Stanton is in this. You know, obviously from Pretty right. in Pink. Oh, and, and, right. and of course, a personal favorite of mine, Young Doctors in Love, Harry Dean Stanton was in. I love the fact that they're in space. And Harry Dean Stanton is basically chain smoking. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one of the things we felt was was definitely reflective of seventies culture. Is hey, they're there are these space they're in space and they're all smoking. And it was like okay, smoking, that's definitely a sign of the times. Smoking was everywhere in the seventies and apparently yep. even in space. Even in now, space. I did think it was a little bit when I saw him, I thought it was a little bit of weird casting. Because if I had to sit down and list all of the people on planet Earth, all 7 billion people. And if I had to list them all in a list of people that I thought looked like they could be an astronaut, Harry Dean Stanton would be dead last. <laughs> you know, like he well, just- keep in mind, there's like I said, they're, they are supposed to represent the equivalent of futuristic blue collar workers. They're right. miners, they're right. truckers. Like and in that sense, I, I do think that he he definitely if you said who do you think would make a good trucker in a movie mm-hmm. that's coming out in 1979 yeah. based on how he looked in Alien and Yafikoto, same deal. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally believe those guys are, are blue-collar workers. They work with their hands, They're, which is not to say that they they couldn't do something better or or more prestigious or whatever. But it's like, hey, this is what they found. They found their niche and they're doing it. And they're bitching and moaning about how they're not getting paid mm-hmm. as much. Like, I know. I, I thought that casting was great. Yeah, no, I, I did too. I thought it was good. Just weird. Like, it struck me as weird at the beginning of the film. I'm like – this guy's an astronaut. Just he weird. Uh, but I loved him in the movie. And then, of course, Sigourney Weaver. And she was just amazing. Yeah. This was her coming out party. Oh, like, my yeah. God. She's so good. But we'll get to her in a bit. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, so anyway, so they, they all wake up. And then there's this, like, it, it reminded me of, of 2001 A Space Odyssey when they talked to the computer. But it's Mother. Right. And so then yeah. they're talking to Mother, kind of like Hal. Right. So they talk to Mother. But Mother, <clears throat> you realize at this point they wake up. They're only halfway home <clears throat> and they wake up because mother, I think, detected like a transmission yeah. of some kind. So they fly down to this. I think it's like a moon. I, I think it might have even been a moon yeah. of Saturn maybe or something like uh, that. No, they, they talk about where it is. So I, in the trivia I was reading, as I mentioned, I usually do the IMD trivia, IMDB trivia before we do these. And they do in the movie reference a, a galaxy or something. And in the trivia notes, it says that galaxy is on the edge of our system. And I think they say it would take however many more months in cryosleep to get home. So it, it, it's based on a real star and a real planetoid that's a really because I remember yeah. there was a like Way right around there. there there was a shot where they're looking out ahead and it looked like you could see Saturn with the rings. That's the only reason. Yeah, I, sure. I yeah, of. I think I think they went for just it was a visual. How do we make this planet visually appealing? It's like let's throw some rings on there, now, give it now, some color. I'll, yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. When I was watching this last night, um, my youngest son was having some trouble getting to sleep, so I had to turn the volume down because I was downstairs. So there's a couple things where I kind of miss and I have some questions for you as we go through this. But anyway, sure. so, so they, they go down to this moon or whatever on, the, on this shuttle and it has like this rough landing, right? And then three of them go outside of the shuttle to explore. And then it, like it's all like cold and foggy. And then the cool thing is, is that there's these shots where you only see them sort of on, on the shuttle monitors, 
you know, as opposed to like the cameras out with them. And it just adds to the suspense of the scene. Oh, yeah. And then, and they brought a cat with them too, by the way. You know, yeah, we, that was the other thing. And my wife and I watched this together. She Aliens is her favorite franchise, tied exactly tied with Star Wars. And yeah, that's what she said. She's like, yeah, why would they let her to bring the cat? I'm like, they're letting them smoke. Like, clearly there's no rules out there. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, and and maybe I guess we'll come back to it because the cat Gotta eat all up. that all those space mice, I guess. I don't, I know. don't know. The cat kind of comes back a bit later. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so they, they find what seems to be like this spaceship. Right. And again, the cool thing is, is you mostly see this big spaceship with these two big arms out the front of it that you kind of mostly see it through like the shuttle monitors or even like on the helmet cams of the astronauts that are outside. So it gives it this whole kind of space version of the Blair Witch Project feel to the movie. Yeah. 20 years earlier. Yeah. It was just so cool. And like I say, the spaceship itself that they find, they're like, what's this? And the thing that got me was instead of it looking all kind of futuristic, like most science fiction films, it's like old and gothic looking. This is definitely an influential film. Like, Oh, absolutely. If you even think of the aliens that are in the movie Independence Day. Oh yeah. They're a nod to this movie, right? Sure. So then they go into it and they find what appears to be like this dead alien in this big chair. Yeah, he's like a giant. Completely. Yeah. And it's like, you know, sitting there. And then, and of course, Sigourney Weaver's back on the, on the shuttle. And she's like, like she, and this is again, there were times like because I had the volume kind of low. I was, she mentioned some kind of a warning signal or something. And then Ian yes. Holmes' character is like, oh, don't worry about it. It's all good. But they find this nest of eggs or something. And then you yeah, see so, something. Sorry, Chris, let me stop you. So it's an important. Well, not so much important. OK, well, yeah. So they they've established by this point that the um, the environment is hostile, as you mentioned. So it's got storms and various gases. So they need their spacesuits on to, to survive. And then um, the the uh, at this point, it cuts back to the ship. And Sigourney Weaver, at this point, she's the most senior officer on the ship. So she gets the report and it says, oh, you know, that signal that we intercepted, we've translated part of it. And we don't think it's an SOS as originally thought. We we believe it's a warning, a caution saying, go, don't come here. It's a it's a warning to stay away. Hmm. And then that's when she's like, well, geez, we've lost radio communication with the crew outside because of the interference. We should go and tell them. And that's when the other guy's like, well, by the time you put on a spacesuit and go and get them, we'll know if it's a, if it's a dangerous or not. Like, just let them finish doing their work. And so we, the audience, now realize what's going on. But those three astronauts out on the planet, they have no idea. Right. So, again, if you've heard this, uh, again, it's that whole building of suspense. It's like, oh, my God, it's a warning. Mm-hmm. What are they walking into? And then they find this giant alien. It's like his chest cavity is exploded almost like from the inside out, which upon first viewing, you're like, OK, that's interesting. But if you have seen this before, it's like, oh, it's – here are some clues about what might be coming next. Right. So. Because cause like I say, they find those eggs and you can see like this like like larva or something inside moving around. And then the top of it opens. And of course, John Hurt's character, you, you can't help. Like he's got to look. Of course. That'll be, you got to look in there. Like, what is this? Like, I mean, you, 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 we're, we're trained to believe that there's no... There's no life on other planets. So you got to look in and then it like, jumps on him, right? And he got that kind of gotcha moment. And Sigourney Weaver then starts talking about like quarantine regulations and like 24 hours. They have to wait to let people in and she doesn't want to let them in. But I think that Ash like opens the door and lets them in, right? Yeah. Yeah. He overrides. The captain's like, you've got to let us in. And he's, he's like, I'm giving an order. And she's like, no, if no. I let you in and there's an and there's an alien organism that's hostile or harmful, we're all at risk. My first priority is to this ship and this crew. 
And Ash is like, as a science officer, he's like curious about this alien to the point where he's willing to side with the captain and override the regulation because he's there. He just manually overrides the door. And like even later, Ripley is like, you know, I think I think I can't remember who it is. One of the characters is like. Oh well, what's done is done, and and she's like, yeah, well, let's see how this turns out, kind of thing. So they they bring him in, and there's like this crab thing on John Hurt's face, and of course, face hugger. That's what they call it, a face hugger. Face okay. hugger. And did they mention that in the film? No, no, that's that's what um, fans have called. Oh, that's okay. what they called it on the crew on the set. And that's what fans have been calling it for years—a gotcha. face hugger. Okay, and so, so <laughs> you the, can buy. So, Chris, yeah. uh, side note: um, people who have sleep apnea can wear like a machine when they go to sleep to help regulate their breathing you can get a sleep apnea machine that looks like a face hugger oh god jeez go <laughs> apparently they're exceptionally popular I, I would guess so with all the, these these fans so so this face hugger thing is on john hurt's face and of course they decide to cut it right and then there's that the acid like the blood comes out and it just and it eats through like five floors of the ship right and then you know, just just going back to something you said before, which I think is important. Like when you mentioned Jaws, I think one of the best parts of Jaws is is like you mentioned. One of the best part of Jaws is that you you never see the uh, you never see the shark, and, and and they use that that same technique here. You don't really see the alien, right? And we'll get to that too. But what to me, one of the best parts of Jaws too is the isolation that yes. comes when you're yes. like miles out to sea and, and you look around and you're just surrounded by water. Well, they take that to a whole new level here because you're totally isolated out in space. I mean, Absolutely. even like you mentioned, the film's tagline is in space, no one can hear you scream. Right. Um, so anyway, so this, this face hugger thing has, they go in and all of a sudden it's gone. It's not on his face anymore and they can't find it. And, and, and they're and like you mentioned, there's all these dark crevices, and areas around the room and it just adds to the suspense, right? And then it like drops from the ceiling on Ripley and looks like it's dead, right? Like yeah. what, what is this? So <laughs> they decide to do an autopsy on it, right? And I just love it because it's those 70s special effects. They're so good. Like there's no CGI. Yeah, it's all practical effects. Yeah. And that's what they said. They, they The alien, when they do the autopsy, it's actual like – Fish guts, cow guts, like it's it's like intestines and internal organs it of real like a, animals. It looked like a plate of raw shucked oysters. Yeah, yeah, that, something. that's exactly that's exactly. They said it smelled bad, and but they wanted it to have a genuine organic look that was believable and real. So it wasn't going to be just all like like the exterior obviously was was rubber or plastic, but mm-hmm. for the interior they they used real innards from real animals and just sort of slapped them all together in a way that they thought, yeah, this looks alien enough. Let's do it. So and yeah, like you said, it's it looks genuine. You believe like this this could genuinely be an alien thing. So I've said it before, I'll say it again. It looks so much better than CGI. Yeah, so agreed. So much, so much better. But um, then I thought it was interesting because then Ripley is like, I, she's like, I don't trust Ash. And then Tom Skerritt's character is like, I don't trust anyone. And yeah. you're like, well, this isn't a very good recipe for like a group of people that need each other to survive, right? Um, but anyway, so they do this autopsy on this thing and then they, they figure, okay, well, it's dead. We're safe. So yeah. we need to go back into hibernation, you know, because it's still a long way to go home, right? But well, they got to get the ship up first, right? Because it's the, the whole thing was they needed 20, I think he said it's 25 hours to repair the ship before they can take the shuttle from the, from the, the, the surface back up to the main ship. Right. And uh, but before they, they, they kind of go down for their sleep, they decide, well, let's just have one big meal. 
you yeah. know, before we go back to sleep. Well, <laughs> they had the, obviously probably the most famous scene from the movie, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, and for sure. It just like obviously the scene where it bursts out of, you know, John Hurt's stomach. So it's obviously when it was on his face, it kind of went into his body. Right. And then it runs away. And then the thing I liked was you got all these camera shots of all these halls and all these passageways. And you realize this thing could be anywhere. Absolutely. Anywhere on the ship. You know, Especially it's so small, like it could go anywhere. Right. And then, so then you got John Hurt, he's dead. And they, they I guess they can't leave his body on the ship. So they, they jettison it into, into space. And like, I'm wondering, like, they, they, so there must be, I guess, some kind of protocol for this. If someone dies, I guess they jettison him out in space. But well, would a body, they decompose in no, space? No, not at all. But I think I think the idea is it's it's traditional from like seafaring days where a guy dies, you throw him overboard. But I mean, in in the ocean, he's fish food. He'll decompose. The fish will eat him the whole bit, you know, circle of life. Obviously, in space, that's less likely to happen. But Mm -hmm. I I think they just wanted to. um, uh, Well, I mean, they're setting up some of the story elements that could come later that, you know, you put something in here and you pop the airlock, whoosh, out right. it goes. So, yeah, more of a plot point, I guess. Yeah. And then Harry Dean Sand puts together like this taser stick thing that they're going to try and use. Now, there is a few scenes where the cat jumps out. Again, yes. kind of where he comes at, kind of like a gotcha moment again. Yeah. And it's like in Jaws when the head floats by, you're like, oh, right. you think it's going to be the shark and it's not. Probably the only reason why the cat is there. You know, when going back to why we're, where we're saying they bring a cat. But yeah. I love the, the fact that the cat jumps out. And so, of course, Harry Dean Stanton goes looking for the cat. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> and then he finds, <laughs> he finds like the alien's shedded skin. Yeah. And at this point, like if you think about it, the alien that came out of John Hurt's stomach, it wasn't very big. It's quite small, yeah. like you mentioned. And yeah. the shedded skin is pretty small. But, you know, but the first thing I thought was, oh, it's going to grow. Like, you know, this well, is that's good. It. I mean, reptiles on Earth, uh, right. as they grow, they shed their skin. So I would think that, the, you know, two and two together, he's going to think exactly what you thought. I don't know what it looks like now, but it's got probably bigger than it was the last time I saw it. Now, here's where I need some of your help, because at this scene, then uh, Harry Dean Stanton goes into this room and there's like all these chains hanging down. You know, and there's like water falling. What was all that? Like, what was that? Did I, I just I, just I part of the something. underbelly of the ship? So this oh, this okay. is one of the big criticisms of the movie from like technical technical people who are like, if you're in outer space and you're on this ship, you wouldn't have all this dripping moisture uh, unless something was wrong. And Ridley Scott was like, I want to set a mood, I want to set a scene, and I want the water to be dripping in certain parts of the ship. And he he fought the studio. And the quote unquote experts who said, no, this is unrealistic given what you're trying to accomplish here. He's like, I'm doing this. And uh, it was just to set the scene. Now, uh, now, again, I don't know what the chains were specifically. Maybe it was – again, they're a a freighter, right? So they're hauling cargo. So I got to think that it's set up to a pulley system where they can put probably like cargo pods on and off the ship. Oh, maybe, yeah. Uh, But if you go back and look at that scene, as it pans around the whole cargo bay – the alien is clearly visible hanging on one of those chains, but oh, you haven't okay. seen it yet. Right. So your first time through, because it's dark and it's in the shadow, you, you don't. it does not stand out whatsoever. But once you know to look for it, you watch it again, you're like, oh my God, it's right there. It's right there. How do you not see it? <laughs> and the interesting thing here too is at this point, like I'm thinking like when the water's dripping, I'm like, oh yeah, there's like gravity here. They Most of the time, there's no gravity, like in a lot of movies. There's no, yeah. like, so it must be decompressed in some way because the water's dripping. And like, I'm like, oh yeah, everybody's not floating around. Okay. 
But anyway, uh, so accept. yeah, <laughs> what's that? Just accept it. Yeah, they exactly. Say somewhere earlier in the movie, they say artificial gravity activated. Again, it's 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 an easy story right. way to explain something that otherwise shouldn't happen. You just say we've activated the X three two five gravity enhancers. Excellent. And there you go. One line of dialogue. Now you don't have to worry about it. So in, in this this scene with you know the the chains in the water and everything, and then you see all of a sudden like behind Harry Dean stand, it stands up. And you just see like a shadow and you realize yeah. that not only has it grown, like it's grown a lot. Like, I don't know what happened. It shed its skin. It's like a little tiny thing the size of like a small cat. And all of a sudden it's like, this thing is huge. Yeah. And, but again, you still don't get a good look at it again with the, the sort of the suspense. But anyway, so it kills them in that sheet, that scene. And they cut to a shot of the ship itself, the Nostromo. Uh, actually, it doesn't – you don't see his dead remains, but you assume, you assume that it has killed Yeah. Because there's a deleted scene where you find out he wasn't actually killed there. And, and again, deleted scenes aside, the assumption that he gets killed there is perfectly valid. So let's go with that. But just, just pointing that out, you don't actually see his body at that point. Right. So then it cuts to an exterior shot of the ship. And it's the first time that you really get a chance to see just how big that this ship is. Yeah. And and the thing is, like, I'm thinking, like, even though this alien is big now, there's a lot of places on this ship that it can hide still. Oh, yeah. This ship is massive, right? So then they rig up this, like, flamethrower, and then Tom Skirt decides he's going to go after this thing. And I love this scene because... Like I mentioned, you, you see the exterior of the ship and you realize it's a huge spaceship. But then it cuts to him going through all these like small air ducts or like ventilation shafts or something. Yep. And, and so with all the vastness of the ship and all the vastness of space, instead, they play on the idea of claustrophobia. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Which is pretty cool. I mean, if you think about how the, yeah. the, how it's juxtaposed into the film. Yeah, no, it's it's between the writer and the director. They they made so many good choices. Oh yeah, that made this movie work. There were so many things that if they had just made a slightly worse decision, the whole movie would would have been like, well, once you get to that point, it's all downhill from there. But no, it's it's these kind of smart decisions along the way. Uh, I'm sure some of them were uh, maybe a little more successful than they had anticipated. But I I got to think the vast majority mm. of them were deliberate. And I mean, again, look at Ridley Scott's resume. Like this guy makes great movies. So you've, you've got to believe that when things like this, these were absolutely deliberate choices made to help tell the story he wanted to tell. And then in this scene, then I like how they're tracking it on the radar. You know, and it yeah. just looks so much like that's kind of 70s, 80s technology, right? Yeah. And it's like kind of a little blip, but it's following him. And then he like, I think he reaches his hand and like in the mucus. So he's like, oh, you know, it's nearby. Oh, and then yeah. the thing is, there's like this flash of light and you just see it reach for him. And and for me, anyway, at that point, that's when I realized this isn't a science fiction film. It's a horror film. Yeah. You know, it's totally a horror film. And it's also the first time you kind of really get a, a look at this thing. It's yep. really quick. Just a flash, like a few frames of film. But again, all about the suspense, right? Yep. So at this point, there's only four of them left. And the thing I'm thinking, and I'm making notes, and I'm like, this is pretty cool. Okay, so for a movie from 1979, the three of the last four of them left, two are women, and one of them is a black man. So yeah. that, that's awesome and very rare for the times. Yeah. So let me let me pause you here. I want to sort of shift gears, and we'll come back to this. But sure. I want to build on what you're just talking about. So one of the things that this movie is praised for uh, on many levels is the fact that 
um, it, it passes the Bechdel test. Do you know what the Bechdel test is? I don't. I, the, um, I don't think Bechdel so. The Wallace test? No, I don't think so. Help me, help me understand. Okay. So the basically the uh, and again, I'm not an expert on this. So if I screw this up, please don't crucify me online. But uh, the Bechtel test is basically a um, a test, uh, a test designed to see how strong, how many strong female characters are in your work. So basically, there's three rules when you're watching a movie. Does the movie have at least two women characters? Number two, do the two women characters talk to each other? And number three, do they talk about something other than one of the men in the film? And you would be shocked at how few films <laughs> pass this Bechdel test. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, this is this is one of the best examples of it where you've got strong female characters who, if you go back and watch this again, the ideas, the things that Ripley wants to do and the things – I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the other character's name um, – uh, what's her character's name here is uh, Lambert. The things they propose along the way, if you if they had if the crew had listened to them and done any of those things at any point when they said, this is my idea, we should do it. The movie would have ended. They had the right decision at the right time. They either were not in a position to to um, force that course of action, maybe because they weren't the captain of the ship at the time. Like eventually Ripley becomes a, the, the highest ranking person on the ship. But even when she was the highest ranking person on the ship, the male characters in Ash overrode her decision because he, he had other motivations and, or his friend, the male captain was outside. Um, and same with Yafik Kodo's character. Again, he's, he's a visible minority. Here's this man of color. He's a blue collar worker. He's arguably the lowest rank on the ship. Um, he has some ideas and he, he asks some very, significant questions early on in the movie. Why is this happening? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And if anyone had listened to him and done anything that he'd suggested or followed his course of action, the movie would have ended. So the, the, the females in this movie specifically and the, the person of color, they are, their value, their, their opinion is, is dismissed by those in charge. And because it's dismissed, the chaos ensues. Now, the other thing is you've got, um, when the movie was, written when they wrote the script the authors very deliberately from the beginning said we do not want gender to be reflected in any of these characters we want to write these characters that they could be played by a man or a woman and we don't want the character to be any different regardless of which gender is cast in which role and so that that, that was their plan and they spoke after like after the movie came out and it was a success and all that and they asked them they're like you know it was great that you cast you envisioned ripley the lone survivor as this woman character. Uh, and they're like, we didn't. Honestly, the, the one guy even said, he goes, we kind of figured it would be a dude because in 1979, when white men are running all the studios, you put another white guy in charge of your movie and all your main characters or heroes are white guys. Um, but to have a, a female in the lead, a strong female who has valid opinions, if in many cases, better opinions than the men that are in charge, um, it was a real milestone for movie making. And Ripley, when, when you look at any list of you know, who are the, the most recognized, strongest female characters ever to appear on film? Ripley makes the top 10 list every time. In most cases, she's probably in the top three. Um, she's a fantastic character. And the, the Alien movie spawned numerous sequels. She's in four of the Alien films, and she's the star of all of them. Even though in this one, she doesn't have top billing as an actress. Her character has the most screen time. Her character is the only one to survive at the end. Uh, you know, it's, it's a movie where Ripley is the victor. The, the, you know, uh, a woman inherits the earth, so to speak. Um, this movie is a fantastic example of how 
uh, a movie can have strong characters that that can be either gender and in this case by putting a woman in this this particular position i think it made the movie better i think if this had been a crew of all men the movie wouldn't have resonated as as well as it did um so anyway you were talking about no i I want i wanted to take this little divergence i agree with you and it's interesting that you mention that because if you think of the seven characters and if you think of their names dallas and ripley and lambert and brett and kane and ash they're all gender neutral names and that was deliberate. None of yeah. them have first names. And in the script, none of them have first names because when they were doing the casting, they didn't want to say it. Well, this character's name is John Dallas. Well, mm. you're not going to cast a lady as John. Um, so that's why in the movie, all the characters are only ever referred to by their last name. And apparently um, the number of times that they use uh, gender specific pronouns, uh, him and her, are exceptionally minimal, like only a handful of times. And again, it's very deliberate. It was mm-hmm. a deliberate choice by the screenwriters to to just have that uh, gender wash on there where it's like it doesn't matter if this is a man or a woman. You've got a deadly alien trying to kill people. He doesn't care if you're a, a, a man or a woman. He, the alien is just going to go after whatever's – and the alien itself never uh, – it, it doesn't have a specific gender that we know of. I mean aliens could be – Totally different than us. Maybe it's asexual or androgynous. Who the heck knows? But um, it's 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 interesting to go back and look at this movie from a, a, a you know like a gender study, women's studies point of view. There's a lot of really good things happening in this movie that you know for its time were very progressive and have stood up. And this is one of the reasons that I really really like this movie and that I think it really stands up and holds up is it's not just seven white guys in outer space and it's not just you know, the the young, good-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed American dude saves the day. It's it's, it's not that. And, and I think by not having that, it makes the movie more uh, relatable, more grounded. It I, reaches I, a broad yeah, audience. I agree with you 100%. And because, like I say, when they start whittling it down to who's left and you realize that, like I say, two of them are women – and, and and Ripley at this point you realize she's really smart. Like she's the one that recognizes at this point that the aliens using the air ducts to travel around the ship. So she's like, we got to plan to quarter this thing and blast it out us, you know, into space. And then there's that scene where she goes and she talks to Mother, and she yeah. finds out that the plans for the trip have been changed. And, and, and the whole idea was to get samples of life and bring it back to Earth. And Ash was obviously behind it. and Or at least supportive of it. Yeah, because it says, like, the crew is expendable, right? Yeah. yeah. And then at this point, Ash comes in and, and, and attacks her. And the thing is, you see, he's, like, super strong. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then Yafit Kodo's character comes in and Ash, like, grabs him, like, in the chest. And you realize, like... Ash has this like superhuman strength. You're like, what the heck's going on? And then Yafit Kodu knocks his head off. And I'm like, he I'm knocks like, his head off with a fire. Yeah, extinguisher. I'm like, what the hell is going? On? And then that's when you realize Ash is a robot, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I love how they they kind of reconnect his head, and they get yeah. information out of him. And yeah. he he basically tells him like, you guys are all doomed. You know, like you have no chance against this thing. So then Ripley, of course, being the smart one, she decides, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Let's blow up the whole ship and then we'll try and escape on the shuttle and take our chances. And the thing is, like, if you considering the fact that this is not a nonstop action movie, you mentioned that earlier. It's kind of slow in places and it's kind of like deliberately paced. 
considering that, the film's pacing was very brisk, I found. I, I was once, like, once the alien – so I think it's like 45 minutes – between 45 minutes and an hour before the chest-bursting scene. And that's the first time you actually see a threatening alien. So it's like the movie runs a little uh, – around two hours. So it's like you're almost halfway through the movie before the, the quote, alien of the title actually makes its appearance. And up until that point, it is very, very slow. And then the alien appears and now it's – now the pacing really picks up. And, and I think that works. I think it works really well. No, I, I agree 100 percent. And the thing is, like, like I mentioned before, there's the the shots of the ship, like like, like out the exterior shots of the ship. There's the, the planet that, or the, the moon or whatever that they go down to and all this. And I'm like the cinematography in this film is fan, just fantastic. You know, so I, I went back and I took a look and I'm like, OK, well, it got nominated for best cinematography, right? It didn't. This film did not get nominated for Best Cinematography. It got nominated for, for, for two awards, uh, one that it won and one that it didn't. It got nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects. It won for Best Visual Effects. But it didn't even win, like, did, didn't even get a nomination for Best Cinematography. So Apocalypse Now won for Best Cinematography. Okay, I guess. But 1941 was nominated for Best Cinematography? Kramer versus Kramer? was nominated for Best Cinematography, and this movie wasn't? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. You know? Well, it's like we said. uh, We have the luxury of looking back on it years later. And I think we we even did a whole podcast about this where, uh, you know, we we took the idea that that, uh, Bill Simmons from The Ringer has always said is it should be like the Sports Hall of Fame voting. You got to give it five years. You got to have a cooling off period. You got to give it some distance. And then you look back and go, okay, five years ago, what came out? That that was trash. That that was amazing. Of course, that's going to win. But of course, that's not how these awards work. It's in the moment. And a lot of times we look back and you say, really, Star Wars didn't win in 1977. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. You know, this is another one of those things. I think with a little bit of time, um, you might have seen a movie like Alien get a lot more award recognition. But that's not the way this particular uh, voting body works. Well, yeah, and I, I, we understand that. We, we've obviously done podcasts on this before. We've gone back and take a look at this. And I mean, I, I mean, I think it should have been maybe possibly considered for best picture. There were some strong movies that year. I get it, but even best director, like you're telling me that Ridley Scott wasn't better than like Edward Molinaro for La Cage Fall. Like, I mean, I, I just, yeah, again, I know we've, we've done this yeah. before, but it, like, even in the moment, it's like, man, what are you, what the hell are you doing? And when you think about the, the money that it made, like it was, it was in the top 10, it was in the top five grossing films for that year. You know, yeah, that doesn't it, surprise me at all. It, it was, was all, it was number five overall. Yeah. I was also reading that, um, Tom Skerritt about halfway through the shooting of the movie, once they started to see the dailies come together and they really got a sense of how this movie was coming together and they saw all the actual sets, he went to the director and producer and said, I want to renegotiate my contract. I want to forfeit all money I said I would take for this movie and I want you to give me percentage of the earnings. I don't know if they actually put the deal in place, but apparently he actually had that conversation for realsies during the course of the, of the making of this movie because he realized this thing is going to be great. So it's always it's always interesting when – you know the people involved really start to get a sense of th- this is going to be this is going to be a big hit. This is this is not like a, a, any other movie we've worked on before. Well, like I say, it, it was the fifth highest grossing film of the year. I mean, Superman was the highest grossing movie that year. Amityville Horror was second, uh, but Alien was fifth. 
I mean, Meatballs made the top 10, by the way. It was number 10. Um, just, nice. Just right behind the 10 and the jerk. But, uh, you know, anyway, it's all good. But anyway, so go back to this this movie here. So the other thing that, that kind of struck me is when Sigourney Weaver, then she realized, okay, we got to get the shuttle and we got to get the hell out of here and blow the ship up. And she goes in the cockpit of the shuttle and it's kind of like suspended from the big ship there. And it reminded me of Independence Day again. You yeah. Know? So it, it seemed like like Independence Day really borrowed a lot from this movie. You know? Well, a lot of movies. Have, hey, we did Spaceballs earlier. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that whole scene at the end of Spaceballs where they go to the diner is a yes. direct ripoff, homage Total rip off to this. of this. And, and done the thing us. dances, right? You yeah, know? because obviously at the time when Spaceballs was made, most of the people that are going to see Spaceballs have probably seen Alien or at least familiar with that part of Alien. So it was an easy laugh. They, they set it up and it works great. Um, so, again, a lot of. A lot of movies, a lot of filmmakers look to this for inspiration, whether it was for laughs, whether it was for, uh, you know, like Independence Day is a, is a high-flying action movie. And they they obviously used uh, a lot of the visual imagery from the Alien franchise to help design their ships and help design their aliens. And and I, I want to think that it's, uh, you know, how's it saying go? It's uh, uh, good artists borrow and great artists steal. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they're literally just going back to these ones that were before that came before them that were fantastic that would help the audience have an immediate understanding. They see it, and in the back of your mind, your subconscious, you go, "That's similar to Alien." Remember what happened there, and you now you're in a frame of mind before the shot before the scene even plays out. So, and like yeah. I say, the, the cinematography is just so good. But you know what would have been great. Be, being able to watch this movie on the big screen in a dark theater. God, that would have been great, you yeah. know? So anyway, so it gets down to the last scene and, and it comes down to two women and a black man to battle the alien. It gets so cool. And then right before it gets um, it gets the two of them, like I, I missed something there. Something was like dropping down and it looked like bodies or something. It was, it was blood. But it, it seemed like there was like, people's body like something was dropping down or something i don't know i was just i was like again i had my i had to keep it down because my son was was awake and i was i wasn't really sure but anyway so you you really get a good look at the alien at this point it's like it looks like it has armor on or something like it just what what, make, what a it's stylistic a, thing yeah. you know and then obviously ripley sets the self-destruct destruct timer and then she you know she sets it she gets into the shuttle and um, she sets it Oh, she can't, can't get into the shuttle. Because she the runs into in the, the alien, right? And it so goes after like, the cat. Well, if I can't get in that shuttle, I better turn off his self-destruct. And unfortunately, isn't quite quick enough to do it. Right. And now she has no other choice. She has to make a beeline for the shuttle. And she's fortunate. She managed to get on the shuttle. The alien's nowhere to be seen. It's moved on. She's going to make it. Because doesn't she, she say something like, mother, turn the some unit back on or something? I, I well, yeah, she's yelling at the ship because right, it said, right. oh, by gotcha. five-minute point, there's no turning back. And then she, it's like four minutes and 58 seconds by the time she turns it off. And she's like, turn the thing back on. Like, stop the self-destruct. And um, you mentioned this too. I love the fact that the hero is a woman. And, and the thing is, not just a woman, but like a kick-ass woman. who's oh, She's absolutely. resourceful and she's smart and she's brave. And she doesn't need anyone to rescue her. You know, and oh, for 1979, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, groundbreaking. It's exceptional. Like Definitely said, a breakthrough. You, you I put agree. a list together of the top 10 kick-ass women in movies. Ripley's going to make, if she's not number one, she's hitting that top three every single time. Uh, very few female characters have been able to to come. Like you're looking maybe Linda Hamilton and T2, Furiosa in the new mm. Mad Max movie. Like 
there are th- those are the 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 most kick-ass ladies in the biggest movies. But Sigourney Weaver's Ripley, right at the top of that list in my mind. So she gets out, she gets away, she looks back, and it seemed like to me like there was like three explosions of this ship. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't boom, really boom, boom. know the specifics. I guess the idea is uh, they, they there was a line of dialogue where they said something about it, it's the self destruct was basically they were shutting down coolant or, or activating something and so i think it was just like the engines doing something silly where it was like well this one has explodes then there's a chain reaction to this one and then a chain reaction. Right. So i think it was the idea was it's not just a one and done there's an explosion and the whole ship goes i think it reinforces the the sheer size of this vessel they left behind and and like i, mean, I like you mentioned something uh, i think it was last episode and you said you know that you're a pretty savvy moviegoer you know and uh, i and, 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 and i and i i agree with you you are and and i kind of think that I'm a pretty savvy movie watcher too, even though, you know, I only watch old movies. But I have to admit, I thought the movie was over when she got into her underwear. And yeah. it's also like kind of disarming because you think like, okay, she's the hero of the movie, but it's 1979 and you, you got to show the female lead in her underwear, you know, because that's what it was like back then, right? And so then you just kind of get complacent watching it and you think it's over. And then there's this thing on the wall, and then I was like, I was thinking, like, that thing looks like that alien's head. And sure enough, <laughs> the alien is on the shuttle with her, right? And it's like they've added in this whole sort of fourth act, you know, into the film. Yeah. And the thing that was so cool is she, like, like, you know, again, you can think of it as being kind of exploitative, the, the fact that she's, you know, basically down, you know, into her underwear. But the idea is she's literally stripped away of everything. You yeah, know, except, oh, absolutely. Except her resourcefulness because she gets into the spacesuit and then just kind of quietly and carefully gets into the chair, you know, and then she opens the door. And and the thing is, then even then, it, it, it doesn't get blasted out into space. It holds on and she shoots it with a spear gun. And of course, the gun gets jammed to the door. It's still, the whole alien still tethered to the ship. And it's not until she finally turns the jet engines and burns it and it floats away. It's <laughs> just like. It's just just an incredible, incredible film. Incredible film, man. I'm so glad that you nominated this. It was awesome. It was great. Well, I, I'm I'm very glad that you finally liked one of them to this extent. So let me ask you this then. Yes. Uh, on So two questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, give me a rating out of 10. I would probably give it a 9. Wow. Okay, good. It was we're, fantastic. We're lockstep on that one. I would give fantastic it a 9 as well. Fantastic movie, yeah. Um. Now, the other thing that you constantly talk about is how uh, – not that this is a new movie, but you say that the new movies don't have that rewatchability factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is obviously from 1979, but is this a movie that you think in the not-too-distant future you would be interested in watching a second time or are you like, that's it? I've seen it. I'm done. No, I would watch it again. Absolutely. No. I would watch it again. It was great. And, and I, again, I think like any good – mystery horror you know kind of movie there's a lot of clues along the way especially with ash the robot if you listen to his dialogue there's like one point where he talks about uh because i again i'm look i was really paying attention for these little details this time around in more than one occasion he deliberately separates himself verbally from the crew where he says like oh you will survive or oh you have to go eat dinner where he doesn't include himself what in the same breath that he includes the rest of the living crew it, he, he does it two or three times which in the moment you don't even pick up on it but once you know that outcome and you go back and watch it you're like 
Oh, there we go. There's just, the, again, the very subtle clues are there, as they should be with any sort of good mystery movie. Well, and like Yancey used to always say that to me. He was like, you know, you got to watch these movies again because, you know, you get so much more out of it the second and third viewings. For me, I would just go back and watch a movie again because I like it. And yep. I like this movie, so I'd go back and watch it again because I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, and again, if, if, if slash when you watch it again, listen to the – whenever they come up with an idea of what do we do next, pay attention to what do the women say, what does the black guy say. And at, at pretty much at every point in the movie when they are offering an opinion or asking a very significant question about what's coming up next, they are ignored. But if they were – if anyone had listened to them and answered their question or taken their course of action – the, whole, the the survivors would have been better off. In some cases, it's possible they all might have survived. So it, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting study. It is 2020, and I will say, how the hell have I never seen this movie? It was just so good. Oh there my go. god! You're all right. welcome. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I owe you one. Finally, after three and a half years Yay! of crap, we got I got to watch something that I really loved. Okay, so I'll tell you what. On that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we kind of like have a lot of fun in this segment. That's why the name of the segment, of course. But what I decided to do was this time was just kind of go back to our roots and just give you some actual trivia about the movie itself. Oh, okay. Okay. And I know I, you're going to do well because I've you, done my homework. So you, you, let's you totally see. love let's this. It. All right. So you're you're going to kill this. You know, I'm expecting I you hope to get. So. I'm expecting you to get perfect on all these questions. Okay. No pressure now. So, yeah. although she played the lead role in the film. This was not Sigourney Weaver's first film role. What comedy did Sigourney Weaver have a very brief cameo in for her first ever film role? I have no idea. Oh, my God. I got I, I'm not familiar with her body of work, especially before this. No idea. Oh, she was in Annie Hall. Really? Yeah, she had a really small part as one okay. of uh, Alvy Singer's dates. Okay. So this film obviously went by the simplistic and very effective title, Alien. Yes. But it wasn't the first choice for the film's title. Can you name the proposed yeah. title of the film before it, it was, went into production? Um, yeah, Star, I want to say like Starlog or Stardock or, uh, I can't remember. It, it was something like that. That's not. Oh, you were close, yeah. but you, close, but you didn't nail it. It's Star Beast. Star Beast. Star there Beast. we go. Yes. Yeah. Man, I thought you were going to kill these. Okay, the alien sports some very impressive features. But what rather commonplace body part is noticeably missing from the alien? It doesn't have any eyes. Yeah, that is correct. It does not have eyes. Okay, so when they first wake up, Ripley tries to contact traffic control. Yes. Where is traffic control located? Antarctica. Oh, there we go. Congratulations. I just watched this yesterday. I picked up on that. You're doing good. You know what? I think I better maybe actually have a beer for this. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing so good. Okay. Um, Bolaji Badejo played the alien in this movie. But what actor was actually considered for the role? Do you know? Oh, um, yeah, I read this. Um, oh, it's not going to come to me. I got to pass. I don't know. It was Jeff Peter, Goldblum. Peter Mayhew. Peter Mayhew. Oh, from Peter, Star Wars. Yes. Chewbacca. Okay. Uh, Tom Skerritt played Dallas. Yes. But 
what Hollywood actor was first offered that role but turned it down? Oh, oh crap. See, I read all the trivia, but it's like there was so much. I'm just, it was offered to, uh, I'm saying Michael Douglas, but I know that's not right. I I can't remember. It was Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, yes. Yes. Okay, so Sigourney Weaver obviously got the role of Ripley. Uh, and, And she got the role because the women at the Fox studio liked her the best. But what famous actress was a finalist for the part only to lose out to Weaver. Again, I read this, but for the life of me, I'm not going to remember. Uh, hold on. Give me a second on this one. Okay, so hold on. This would have been 1979. Yeah. It would have been Meryl Streep. No, I have no idea. <laughs> it was Meryl Streep. Congratulations. Was it? <laughs> yes, it oh was. My God, that was a total guess. <laughs> yep. I knew she, it was someone big. I just couldn't remember who yeah, it was. Yeah, she lost out at the last minute to Sigourney Weaver. Okay, so when Kane shines the light in the alien egg, you can make out the alien, like I mentioned earlier. It's like yep. moving around. It's making these kind of squishy yep. you know, motions, right? So this obviously, with no CGI, involved someone putting on a pair of rubber gloves and acting as the alien. Nice. Who provided the hands and acted as the alien in the egg for this scene? I, I'm i going to say the director, Ridley Scott. You are correct. It was nice. Ridley Scott. I wasn't okay. sure, but yeah, that makes so sense. So Dallas says in the scene that they have to go to, the, to the, the moon and they have to explore the source of the unknown signal. Why do they have to do that? It's a uh, regulation in their contract. Yes, I'll give it to you. It's it's a contractual obligation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because the Afikoto's like, I'm not going out there. I'm not going to get paid for it. And then they're like, you are contractually obligated. If you don't do this, you won't get any shares. He's like, oh, okay, then I'm good to go. <laughs> yep, no problem. Okay, so we mentioned uh, in the podcast, the ship is called the Nostromo. Nostromo, yeah. Yep. So what's the name of the company that they work for? Although it's never said in the oh, dialogue yeah. of the film. The, the, no, the company uh, has a name. And yeah. it, it can actually be seen on like pieces of equipment and products. Yeah, the film. it's the W something. It, it, the, the name appears in the in the sequels too. It's uh, it's it's a hyphenated name. It's like W. First one starts with a W. The other one starts with like I think a T because I want to say the logo was WT. But I for the life of me, I can't remember. No, it's the Waylon Utani. Waylon. Yeah. Yutani. Very, very tough. So it's funny. I thought, especially when we started to do to do this uh, segment, you're like, oh, I'm going to kill this. But I think it's a lot harder than you think. Well, you know? yeah. And, and those are some pretty obscure questions, which yep. they had to be. And even the obscure ones, I got a few of I them. I had to get but it. If you, yeah. If you were like, what's the name of this character? Or, you know, what was the name of the ship? Like, those are pretty obvious, like, pretty obvious yeah, answers. Yeah, I but, couldn't do that to um, you, you know. I, Chris, I do want to mention, if you enjoyed mm-hmm. this movie, right now on um, – I want to say it's available on, I think, through HBO and Crave. There's a documentary that came out this year. It's called Memory, The Origins of Alien. Oh, cool. And it's all about um, the uh, the writer uh, of the of the Alien movie, whose name escapes me, and I'm trying to look up real quick here. Uh, O'Bannon, I want to say, is his last name. Yes, Dan O'Bannon. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who created the original story and screenplay. And it's 
Uh, he's no longer with us. He's passed on since the movie has come out. Um, but his wife and his family and his colleagues uh, put together this documentary and they talk about like how, how he was inspired to write this script and where he, what his influences were and what sort of notes he got from partnering with certain people to get ideas and how when he met Ridley Scott, certain things clicked. He talks about um, his uh, his relationship with H.R. Giger or Geiger, I'm not sure you pronounce it, the, the art- artist who created the alien designs uh, which are prevalent in this movie all over the place. Um, it's it's a pretty decent documentary if you are um, if you enjoyed this movie. It gives you a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And even as someone like me who I've read a ton of trivia on this movie over the years, I've seen this movie many times. Uh, my wife and I watched this a couple of weeks back, and you know we we both sort of afterwards talked about it a little bit. And it's like there was a lot of stuff in there that I had no idea about. It was, you know, I, I find when you really enjoy a movie and then you can learn more about about the movie itself it's almost like getting to watch your your favorite movie again like it's like when you watch a movie with a director commentary mm-hmm. and you're like well i know this movie backwards and forward then you hear this audio commentary from the director and they give you these little tidbits and you're like oh now there's a, something new to enjoy about this movie yeah this this documentary memory the the origins of alien uh was was pretty good i would say uh, uh something to watch out for yeah definitely like like when you watch a dvd back in the day and then at the end like the extras you know, like well, find all that stuff. I just loved it. So with the, with the Alien movie, I, I actually have a DVD box set from the 90s or the early 2000s. It's nine discs. So there were four Alien movies. So it's the four movies. Where do all the extra, extra discs? Like what are well, they? Well, that's it. So the first first disc – so there's four discs that are the movie, the theatrical release of the movie. And right. each of the four movies also has a director's cut. So on the one disc – it's Alien and the Director's Cut, Aliens and the Director Cut, Alien 3 Director Cut, and Alien Resurrection and Director Cut. So that's the first four discs. Then there's a companion disc for each movie that's another three hours of special features, behind the scenes, all sorts of craziness. There's audio commentary on every movie. And then there's a ninth disc, which is just um, – like it, which is all sorts of special features that sort of cover the franchise as a whole. It's an incredible amount of behind the scenes stuff. And honestly, I forgot that these that this box set had all this stuff because when I went to watch Alien last night, I said to my wife, I'm like, do you want to see if it's available on a streaming service, one of our streaming services? Or do you want me to just go grab the discs off the shelf? She's like, get the disc. I open up. I'm like, look, it, there's nine discs in this box. And she's like, well, I know what we're doing for the next few weeks. We're going to watch all this stuff. Because <laughs> you said she really loves them, right? Oh, Ali- Aliens with an S. The next one is arguably her all time favorite movie. Nice. Well, it, it, this this part of the show is you know kind of where I've got to nominate a film. So I don't know. Let me think. So about Chris, this. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. Gonna, you said that I, that you owe me one. Yeah. For letting you watch this, so I'm gonna cash it in right now. Okay. What do you want to do? Since you actually enjoyed this movie, I did. I want to come it. back next week. Mm-hmm. I want you to watch the next one, Aliens Part Two, the oh, sequel. Okay. It's directed by James Cameron. It also stars Sigourney Weaver, and it it picks up on this story. I won't. I don't want to ruin any of it for you. In my mind, Aliens is better than Alien. It's one of those really? rare examples where the sequel just brings this franchise and this idea to the next level. And it is every bit as good as this, arguably better than this. Aliens makes my top 10 movie list every time. Like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, it is my wife's all-time favorite movie, arguably even more than Star Wars. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to invite her to come and chat with us next week. We'll watch Aliens. And the three of us can can talk about this movie. Hopefully you enjoy Aliens at least half as much as you enjoyed this first one. But I got my fingers crossed. I think you're going to really like it. Well, absolutely. And and as you jumped in there and said, well, instead of me nominating a film, you want to nominate the next one again and say Aliens 
and I knew how much that Kay loves it. I was going to say, yeah, let's have her on. So yeah, let's do that. So next episode, let's get back. We'll watch, I'll watch Aliens. Kay will come on and join us and we'll all talk about the sequel to this. Not too many sequels are better than the original. And I'm going to be a little bit skeptical here because I like this movie a lot. And that's really rare for me to do on this podcast. So there's no way that the sequel is going to be any better. Well, the sequel came out in 1986. So it's uh, seven years after the original. You've got uh, director James Cameron, who's becoming a big name at this point, right? He's he's done the first Terminator movie. And uh, this this next film, it's, you know, James Cameron goes on to do Titanic and Avatar and Mm -hmm. And, and all sorts of that other wasn't, movies. That wasn't the first movie he did, though, that was a sequel, where he kind of came in, you know, doing a sequel of someone else's movie. Because I think his first theatrical film was Piranha 2 The Spawning. I think you're right. I think that was his first <laughs> film. So he did a sequel of someone else's movie, and then he did, you're saying he did Aliens, which was Ridley Scott's movie. Interesting. Uh, and then he goes on to be, like, one of the greatest directors of all time, like, from a box office point of view anyway. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. It's... Uh he, he, he's got every bit as an impressive a resume as Ridley Scott, arguably a better resume than Ridley oh, Scott, yeah. depending on what kind of movies you like. Right. Uh, they, the different styles of movie making, but man, oh man, does James Cameron know how to tell a story? And and I, I don't want to ruin it, so I'm going to sort of stop Canadian. myself there. Is he really? Yeah. I know that. Oh, yeah. He's Canadian. So, you know, he's one of us. Okay. Happy so skating Ontario. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I got his bio up here. Wow. Did so, not know that. So that's what we'll do. We'll watch Aliens. We'll come back next episode and we'll critique that. Me, you, and Kay. And uh, we'll go from there. That sounds great. I love that awesome. idea. I'm All looking right. forward to it. Yeah, it sounds good. If you want to reach out and talk to either one of us, you can find uh, Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me at C McBrien or popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is there. You can email us or contact us any way you want. Until next episode, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 